What's up? Welcome to a new episode of The Life. I'm Scott Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by the hilarious Detron Edwards and the infamous John L. What's up, fellas? What's up? What's up? Welcome to Jamrock Damn Biggs. This time you're going too far, man. <laughs> hey, you've been a pestilence in my side ever since your age. <laughs> I, didn't even know you, I, didn't, I didn't even know you had blood this blood killing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Welcome to Jam Rock Rock Rock. Hey, but. Boom, you can shot. Boom, boom. Yeah. Yo, let us have to DJ. Let us have to DJ. <laughs> Yo, that's spot on right there. You guys put in work last week, man. And the response is still going strong. You know, we're picking up new listeners every day. And we definitely feel the love, huh? I especially want to shout out Jose Amoros from Brooklyn, New York. He has been real active on the Light Podcast Facebook page, dropping some serious knowledge and putting us on some talent out there. Uh, specifically, Native Son, a hip-hop band out of Indianapolis that is starting to make some noise out there. I mean, those brothers are doing it, and we should definitely look out for them. We're also getting a lot of links to demos and, you know, check-me-outs and things like that. So let me first say this. Though we appreciate the look and will definitely get feedback when and where we can, we're not a label or A&R as much as we would love to be. Which got me thinking though, fellas, I mean, there are so many different variations and subgenres of hip-hop, which is a good thing. But how does anyone determine what is quote-unquote hot, if that's true? For example, when you hear a song, I mean, I just want to hear from you guys, what do you look for that makes you hit repeat or skip? For me, um, how an artist rings genuine, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. through through their uh, through their delivery and their lyrics, mm-hmm. you know, just looking at, you know, we're talking about the last uh, week's episode with, with Jay-Z, you know, Jay-Z's lyrics and the reason why he blew up so quickly mm-hmm. is his lyrics were really authentic. Mm-hmm. And through that authenticity, the listener was able to get a very vivid picture of exactly what Jay-Z was saying in each and every bar of his rhymes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so as a listener, and you know, we're all listeners of hip-hop to a certain degree. Even people who don't like hip-hop, you hear a McDonald's commercial, there's hip-hop in it. Always. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, because it permeates the culture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we touched upon that, of course. So therefore, when you sit down and and you are an avid listener of hip hop and you hear an artist come through and that authenticity rings strong, that for me is what's going to grab my ear. After that, then I'm I'm listening for some different things and that's, you know, subjectivity, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But, um, and I think it just goes back to the original point of why we even, you know, started this particular podcast in this format. Mm -hmm is because this hip hop culture, it is an art form. Mm-hmm. And just with any other medium of art, be it you know, classical music, be it paintings, whatever it is, when they're authentic, they come across better versus being the fakes. Gotcha. And the fakes you know, are very easy to tell. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so what do you say to like, you know, I'm, again, I'm not trying to put anybody out there. I mean, you know, I'm not hating on anyone, but what do you say like, to an artist like a Chief Keef or like a Trinidad James. I mean, where do you place them in the whole scheme of things? Burn, burn your CD onto another CD and destroy both of them. That's what I say. <laughs> I, I'm going to be real with you. Mm-hmm. I, I got kids and some of the stuff that these, you know, that, that they're putting out nowadays is straight garbage. Mm-hmm. 
I'm I, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I'm not gonna be like, oh yeah, you know. But this no, you know what? I like hot lyrics. I like you know people that have some creativeness creativeness about them. I like the people that have uh, the music that you know that if you got music to come through and you creative and it make me want to turn up like turn up, turn up, turn up. <laughs> if it if it if it get to that point. And somebody's hollering like that, you know, excuse the N-word, but uh, if somebody's hollering like that and it, it makes me feel that way, okay, that might that might keep me in there listening to you and it might make me think about your whole album. But when you talk like, you know, you're writing your lyrics on Hooked on Phonics or, you know, or you just, you, like, your, your lyrics are in Braille and you're just trying to get them out, mm-hmm. nah, I mm-hmm. can't deal with that. And I can't deal with these dudes who want to be killers on the street all the time, okay, you, you you got guns, okay, yeah, been there. Okay, you got uh, jewelry, okay, been there. You got drugs, you sold drugs, okay, been there, did that. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, as uh, as DMX said about uh, about Rick Ross, DMX said on uh, on the radio one time about Rick Ross. He said it there, said yo, you know, he, he talk about cars, yeah, that got that. Girls, yeah, been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Money, guns, yeah, been there, done that. He said now he's talking about eat. How much how much can somebody eat? <laughs> it's all like right. yo, you doing all of that. You know but you're what? not impressing me because you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. Do some stuff like Jay-Z did is different. Mm-hmm. Nas is different. Mm-hmm. Do some stuff like like some of these young cats that's, that's out there now. Do something different like them. Like I told you, that one, I think his name is T-Top. That, that cat right there, when you can make one of my favorites, like Jadakiss, when you can make one make Jadakiss look at you like, oh, my God, make that face like, oh, like he just he said that right there just murdered this kid. Mm-hmm. When he sits up there and can say stuff like that, or somebody can say something like that, yo, that right there means you're a real lyricist to me. I want to listen to you out. But if you come out like I just got to take the picture, that right there, kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Stick a finger up your nose and puncture your brain, kill yourself. I go back. <laughs> I go back to 1995. 1995. And again, like I said, me, all three of us, I think I can speak for all three of us and say, I said it before, we're hip hop purists. I go back to 1995, the Stretch and Bobbito show. You remember that one, Dad, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Big L brings on an unknown artist at the time, Jay Z. Nobody knew who he was back then. This is 95 now. You know what I'm saying? Mainstream. Mm-hmm. And they started, they were freestyling. They freestyled for like 20 minutes. Right, Big L went. See, Big L went for five you, minutes. Go ahead. But you already said it though. Yeah. Big L, you right. you just talked about a legend. So right. a legend is not going to bring on somebody that's garbage. But those two, I think we can both agree are top ten all time. Yeah. Oh, oh, right, not a doubt. Right, I mean, right. Okay. But there's there's other people that aren't being you know mentioned in that. I mean, right. Back in the days, I go way back to the mm-hmm. artifacts, the outsiders, Young Z, No Brain, mm-hmm. all of the you know I go back to those casts and and oh, like I remember one time on um, I think it was Stretch Armstrong or Barbito or uh, or it might have been something else. They had the Fugees on, and I remember Wyclef just throwing words at Lauren Hill, and she was putting them in her rhymes, and he got down to the last, he said, Mickey, and she's like, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, yes, and she was just flipping it. I was like, this chick is nuts. She's bananas with it. Yeah, we definitely got to do a show you, on Lauren, man. Lauren, it was, Lauren yeah. was, Lauren was, was massive. Massive, and I if think, you can do yeah. stuff like that, man, you you are amazing to me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, I go back to that show, right? I mean, Big L and Jay Z freestyling on the Stretch and Bobbito show, and um, there was a beat playing in the background. I can't remember what the beat was, but it was you know nothing special. 
You know, so Big L went for about five minutes, and then he handed it over to uh, to uh, Jay Z. Now, you know, Bobito was having mic problems or whatever, so you could hear them talking in the background. And so it was Jay's turn. They were getting the mic ready, and I think it was Stretch asked Jay. He was like, "Is this beat okay for you? You know, do you want me to change the beat?" And Jay was like, "It's whatever. I don't care about the beat." And that right there, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about them too. All right, Big L, pardon the uh, technical difficulties. Check it out. Yeah. Check uh-huh. it out. Check it you wanna out. put your man on too, you can do it together. Alright, alright. I'ma set it off like this. Check it out. Yo, check it. Yo, I got slugs for snitches. No love for bitches. Putting thugs in ditches with my trigger finger itches. I got a rep to make police jet. Known to get a pre-sweat. I never beg for pussy like Keith Sweat. It's Big L, slow hell no. Bitches get fucked on a roof when I ain't got no hotel dough. I'm known for yoking Japs and beating them with smoking gats. Leaving token blacks with broken backs and open caps. So with that bullshit, step to the rear, son. The last thing you want with Big L is a fair one. Cause in the street brawl, I strike men like light. You seen what happened in my last fight, friend? I right, then I beat kids with lead pipes. I leave trails of dead mics where I'm from. Niggas' Jews get ran like red lights. Old folks get mugged and raided. Crimes are drug related, and we live by the street rules that thugs created. Clowns get smoked about a thousand folks are selling pounds of coke. Front in this town and get a text stuck down your throat. I'm telling you, shit is about to get drastic soon. I'm quick to blast a goon and break a motherfucker like a plastic spoon. I got the looks to make your hottie steal. I keep a shoddy near. It's that nigga with naughty hair who got him fear. Tracks I'm known to roast until the microphone is Come ghost on. Props I own the most, I'm leaving niggas comatose Run and get your brain pinched, big L I have your whole gang lynched I started smoking dust and been insane Woo. since This rap shit was a great gift The other night some snake rift and got a hot lead facelift All through high school I had braids, I kept mad blades Stabbing teachers to death, they gave me bad grades I cooked the mic like a beef steak, cause my technique's great And I'm the nigga police hating each state Cause I'm the neighborhood lamp or punk brother vamp or fuck around you Find my silk boxes in your mother's yeah. hamper Cops drop when my Glock makes the pal sound I'm from a wild town You know my style clown, so bow down Word up Say what, Say 95 what? style I yeah. got my man Jay-Z here Jay-Z. Boy, Step how up you to mean? the mic Step up to the yeah, Word up, the single's called Put It On It's in stores right now Produced by my man Buck Wow yeah. And the chorus got Kid Capri It got an LG remix, which you heard a little while ago Word up Yeah. Jay-Z I was just wondering if that, if that was a condom endorsement. Oh, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Yo, we got Jay- We also got the graveyard, right? That's coming up next. With Jay-Z on it. But we got Jay-Z in the place. What's up, baby? What's up, man? Yeah. We- I just came about that hectic party, man, down uh-huh. at the uh, city, man. That shit was hectic, man. Cops in there with shotguns and all that. Yeah. And that was an R&B party, man, you know? Yeah. So I was, Well, the plague, the plague is everywhere. The it was probably a reef. Yeah, it's my old man, reef. Daddy Reef, yeah. Yo, be you up here, you know what I'm saying, so. I don't give a goddamn who it was, I'm yeah. good now. You do your thing, baby. So, you like you want the speed or you want yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that shit is fun. It's good. Check it out now. Check it, check, check it out now. Hey, yo, what? Brothers can beg and borrow. Still feel sorrow when Jay-Z like Zorro. Get in that ass. Better luck tomorrow. I'm too much, nigga, so never should you rush. You need to slow down or get your ass toe down. Check it out. I'm too cocky to stop me. You gotta kill me. And when I'm gone, you can still feel me. On the real beat, this shit is eternal. I rock the heavens well. Even if they won't let me in heaven, I raise hell till it's heaven. Recognize the black cat with the nine lives. Get up off me, nigga. It's bad luck to cross me. I'm popping Chris. 
style shooting game like missiles as projected or holes affected by their style. I act like Goldie, go back like the Odie, but the goodie pulling R&B bitches wearing hoodies. They don't be knowing the way I be flowing when I be going. I be running the track like Jesse Owens. I disrupt the natural scheme the way that you do things with a swing and have them rocking like. You say never you run, if ever you come, it's never you run So fast in your life to never have won Come on and ride the rhythm, I produce like jism Just like the cars, I start with knowledge and follow with wisdom For greater understanding, I'm landing, blows in Knocking sense into those that oppose me Enticing when slicing through tracks, you're screaming Jesus Christ is back and God knows he can rap Me and L put rhythm on the map, so give him his dab And me, I just take mine, give me those, give me this, give me that, fuck that You never see me stress, energy yes, on the prize my greedy eyes can't see no less Jigger incredible Even my thoughts is federal Like kidnapping, extortion, and corruption So you know, beating me I never come like a nun Or tomorrow, I'm too thorough Nigga, I make moves Cause bows to move When I'm creeping through your way With a thousand little dudes Um, with a piece like Islam I make your eyes rise like yeast Surprise, I feel no fear When facing y'all Bet your lyrics jump off the track Like racing cars MC's trying to be the best and even in dying couldn't be this death i see no reason to stop cheesing ever since else had throw three g's in and we could get down and split the wealth that's when i found i could do it myself i get up yeah they don't care what he's playing it's for them it's about the lyrics it's about the message you know what i'm saying it's about the their their talent to deliver that message. And for me, you know what I mean? That's what I look for. You know, the beat, to oh. me, even though the beat is critical, it's important, it's secondary. You know I mean? You got to be able to hold your own. You know what I mean? So I, I once you. heard that, man. Mm-hmm. I seriously once heard that from, um, I think Biggie was talking or something like that. I once heard that it, no matter, as a rapper, mm-hmm. no matter what beat comes on, right. if you are nice with your lyrics, mm-hmm. your lyrics can flow to any beat that's out there. Right, it's exactly right, man. So I go back to like the Fetty Waps, you know, the, the Young Thugs or whatever his name is, you know, the Chief Keeps and all them. If you take away the beat, you know, take off, you know, turn the beat off, you know what I'm saying, and listen to them. If they can hold their own or if they can't, then that tells you everything you need to know about, you know, quote unquote, what's hot or not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what? I'll tell you what. Let me let me say this about Chief Keep. Okay. I can say he's he's okay to me. Mm-hmm. Trinidad James, I can't stand him. Bottom line, I can't stand them. So I don't want to put them two in the same category. It's just that I come from a different time and era mm-hmm. where I don't think even if I was younger, uh, other hip hop, I would have even liked Trinidad James. But Chief Keith, you know, like I said, he's got a couple out there that I'm like, all right, I, I could listen to that. But it's just not something I could do all day, every day because I'm a little bit old. I mean, you know, my, my, my oldest son might sit up there and appreciate his stuff, but... You know, I can't have my youngest son or my my daughter listen to that, or you know, any other kids around me listen to stuff that he's you know he's putting out. My oldest son is he's an adult, so it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not hating on them. You know, what I'm saying there's a obviously there's a time and a place for every type of song. Like I said, hip hop has so many different sub genres. There's somebody listening to that. You know, I just wanted yeah. to get some insight from you guys. I mean, I mean. You know, we're just three guys that love talking about hip hop, and we all pretty much on the same page with regard to what that means. But um, you know, I definitely agree with what you're saying, that, and especially what you're saying too, John, about you know the quality or the or the lack of quality as to as to what's going on out there. So, like when you hear the phrase, you know, hip hop is dead, or you know, what do you feel about that? I don't think real hip hop is dead. I just think people are looking in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. You know. 
Exactly. Because if you exactly. because if you really because if you really think about it, you know, just go back to our first show all together. Mm-hmm. I dug up a cat who's been popping since 2008 over in South Africa, and I know both of you listen to him, right? And I know both of you liked him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I but I know that you know a lot of the feedback that I received from the first show. Most of it was, hey, I checked out that kid, Proverb, and you're right, he's nice. So just think about this. This kid's been popping over in South Africa since 2008. If he would have been popping here, you wouldn't have a Fetty Wap. You wouldn't have some of this. Under, understand that, you know, me, I come from a background of business development, marketing. And I understand one very simple, one very simple uh, concept, and that is supply and demand. And if you don't have a supply, your customers are going to go somewhere else. Even if that supply is not the best, is not the top, you know what I'm saying? If even ranked against your other items that you have for sale, but you still are putting something on the shelf for somebody to see craft or for somebody to see whatever your manufacturer name is. And that's the same way with these freaking industries. I mean, with these big uh, music corporations, RCA, MCA, you know, all these different companies that are out there that are pushing music, they have to, they know that if they print a million copies of something, 150,000 people are gonna buy it. You understand what I'm saying? And that's going to cover the labor it took to make that because to make a freaking CD, labor and all is probably like a dollar and 35 cents. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But they're selling each CD for 13 to $18 and you get a double hitter for what, 20 to 21, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's somebody really hot. So they know that it's going to, you know, especially people who are new to hip hop, new to music, they're going to buy that Fetty Wap. And I, and I hate to keep saying his name. That's the only name that's on my mind because I know there are people out there who appreciate his music. And that's cool. It's not something for me. But again, as we always keep saying, this is an art form. So it's subjective. You know, some people like Mercedes. Some people like BMWs. It's just what your taste is. So if you're a Fetty Wap cat, rock with it. Mm-hmm. Be honest with you, you know, and just and go with it. I don't care. It's, you know, I don't care what you it's not for me either. It's a, it's a younger genre. But, uh, you know, at the same time, Fetty Wap, get well. He had an accident. Right. You know, get well soon, yeah, brother. No doubt, you, know, no doubt. Mm-hmm. you know, you had your accident. But, um, you know, it, it's still, it's not something for me. It's for younger genres. It's, it's for the, you know, it's a... Uh, it's party music. That's that's pretty much what his is. His is party music, mm-hmm. but it's not something I want to listen to. No offense. Do we have um, Proverb on our uh, Twitter page at all? Yeah, I definitely added him. Nice. Okay. All right. Because I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't check it. I was just wanting to see. So if anybody's out there and they uh, they want to check into him, you know, you go to our Twitter page and uh, mm-hmm. look up Proverb on there. No, you bring up a good point. That I mean, I got to tag him on the show. I haven't done that yet. So thanks for reminding me. I'll do that. Because John definitely showed love, and he is a talented dude. He is a talented brother, right? But, um, and it's just, yeah. So I don't, I don't think hip hop's dead at all. I just think the industry is just keep putting something on the shelf, mm-hmm. just for people to keep buying their record label. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because right. the more they, because for them, if you're McDonald's, mm-hmm. if you have thirty, if you have you know twenty thousand hamburgers that you sell that are bad, all right, you're gonna you, you're gonna pay some change because people got sick, right? But at the end of the day. You still, nobody went into any of your stores at any time and you said, we ain't got no burgers. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You still have yeah. product to sell, you know? And that's, you know, and, and it's so funny, you know, since we're talking about this, I just want to touch it just real quick, just briefly. That's one of the reasons why I think Jay-Z cornered the game like he did so well. 
And that was another example of how much of a drug dealer that he actually was because he took a drug dealer's mentality and he basically did that in the rap game. You know what I'm saying? Because for three and a half, four years, he flooded the streets with Jay-Z. Mm -hmm. You couldn't turn on the radio without hearing a new Jay-Z cut, even if it was a popcorn, a popcorn cut, at least once every, you know, four to six weeks. There was a there was a new Jay-Z track out. And in the middle of all those, he was dropping new albums. Yeah. So in New York, John, yeah. it was funny, man, because sorry to cut you off, man, but like the top station at the time was Hot 97, right? And their slogan was Hot 97, you know, hip hop and R&B. They were playing so much Jay-Z, right? The joke on the street was Hot 97, hip hop and Jay-Z. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You have no idea, John, you have no idea. This dude, I could not stand it. I was, I was, <laughs> I was so disgusted. Every time right. you turn on the radio, it was Jay-Z and Beyonce on their station. Mm-hmm. It was I got disgusting. Mm-hmm. It was like that's what made me like. Dude held us down for like seven songs, but no doubt that's what that's what kind of turned me away from him. You know, at the last minute, like, oh, come on, man, I can't keep listening to you. You know, put somebody else out. Put you know, put some more people out and stuff like that. Like, okay, your your, your movies that you did, okay, yeah, they oh, were, they were right. but some of them were all right. <laughs> they they were funny to me. Let's say that. But then when yeah, you yeah. come back, you say, all right, well, you know, let's let's go ahead and let's go with, uh, you know, your albums and stuff. Okay, your albums were okay. They were hitting. But it was, you know, it, it was too much Jay-Z. That's what it was. It, was, it wasn't just <laughs> the fact that it was just, it was just too much Jay-Z and too much Beyonce. Mm-hmm. And now that it's kind of slowed off and, you know, it, it's like... You sit up there now, and you're like, okay, I could, I could feel them now because it's not being thrown down my throat every five minutes. It's, it's like, oh, come on, Jay Z again? Okay, that's like, you ever see that? Uh, what is that movie? Vince Vaughn was in a movie about uh, being Santa Claus's brother, and he was at the air, at the uh, North Pole. Oh yeah, had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you had Ludacris playing the same song over and over and over and over again. Yo. I would want to sit up there and, and hurt somebody hearing that over and over again. And that's where, what it started getting like with the Jay-Z stuff. Like, I stopped wanting to listen to Hot 97. And maybe that might have been their downfall, that they just catered to people who, you know, who, who paid to play or who were hot at the time instead of trying to bring up other artists that people may have wanted to listen to. And that kind of killed their audience and made their audience shift and go somewhere else. You never know. But that you bring up a very, you make a very profound statement in what you were just saying with the fact, just like you just said, Jay-Z held it down for seven summers almost, right? He just kept putting out, he just kept putting out work. He just kept putting out work. That's the same thing that Scott, that, that doves tell right into the question that Scott asked because that's what these record labels do. They, they took that and they're saying, okay, well, one artist can do that us as a record conglomerate, we can do that. So what if the artists suck? How many one-hit wonders, as you said the other day, you know what I mean, with respect to straight to, what did you say, straight to VH1, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one-hit wonders, how did you, I, I forget how you said that, you know what I mean? Straight to unsung. <laughs> straight to unsung, that's what it was, straight to unsung, there, there it is, thank you, thank you. The album, but it's just, like, yeah, the album, but it's just, right, and it's just like Millie Vanilli, you know what I mean? At first, you know what I mean, what did everybody buy with Millie Vanilli? Everybody bought their look, nobody cared if they could sing or not until, and those stupid idiots, I'll call them stupid idiots, 
Because if you know you can't sing, the one thing you're not going to do is sing in public. I mean, just be smart. You know? Nah, I can't do that right now. You know, next question. But I mean, that is a prime example of how the industry is going to keep just putting out product, putting out product, good, bad, or indifferent. It's going to keep pumping that product out. And the only way us as the hip hop consumer can demand that they put out better product on a more consistent basis is if we don't buy that trash. Hence why we got this podcast to help people understand what is hip hop. You know what I mean? What truly is hip hop? Is it, you know, that bubblegum popcorn stuff? You know what I'm saying? No, it's this over here. You know what I mean? It is that street reporter. It is that individual telling you what it's like in a hood, in a city, in a town that you have never been and never will be. You know what I mean? And they can paint that picture for you, bring you in, and allow you to experience their experience through their words. That's hip hop. To me, you're exactly right, but hip hop, I was actually talking to someone the other day. Hip hop to me is not just an art form, it's a culture, it's a feeling, it's 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 your soul. So you look at hip hop, hip hop is rhymes, beats, hip hop is b-boying, hip hop is graffiti, mm-hmm. hip hop is a way of life and a lot of people out there, they're talking about, oh, I'm a hip hop artist or I'm a rapper or whatever. Yeah, you may be a rapper, but you're not a hip hop artist because you won't know what true hip hop really is because it's not in your soul. It, you know, and it doesn't have to be that you came from the hood or the ghetto to say, I'm down, I'm hip hop. No, it's a way of being. It's a, it's a soul feeling. It's a culture. It's, it's just, it's bigger than what you think it is. just rapping. Exactly. So exactly. hip hop is when you take that black book out with them white pages and you can sit up there and you don't have to listen to anything, but you come up with a masterpiece of graffiti. That's the original hip hop era. You come out with beats just banging on a table, coming up with beats and rhymes, that's hip hop. When they didn't have beat machines and drum machines, hip hop is when we walked around the street and I laughed with a friend of mine the other day. He said, yo, I could never break. He said, but I was the best looking cardboard carrier in the world. <laughs> he said, "He said I was that dude who was in the crew that carried the cardboard. He said, I had the Adidas, the Adidas sweatsuit, Kango, and a, you know, the gazelle shades. Mm-hmm. He said, yo, I looked the best I could be for being a cardboard carrier. And people actually thought, like, yo, he's getting to get on there and do something amazing. Mm-hmm. He said, all I did was lay it out and then get in the poles and everybody else break, did their breaking. So, you know what? You know that's, what? Yo, you have to have it in consult. Yeah, you know what? That, John also said it, too. You know, he said he birthed hip-hop. And he slapped hip-hop on the ass. I think that's funny as hell, man. But, you know, growing up, that's all we knew. The way we walked, right? The way we talked. The way we yeah. interacted with our friends, you know, being in class, banging on the desk. You know, you didn't even know why you were banging on the desk, but it's because you had a song in your head. You know, you were, you was, you know, talking about the videos coming on, you know, video music box, MTV or whatnot. It's all we knew. That was our way of life, and it still is. You know, here we are all these years later as grown men. We're sitting here talking about it now, even to this day. That's how, that's how relevant it is as an art form. That's how relevant it is as a culture and as a lifestyle. I mean, it still permeates who we are to this day, passing it down to our kids. I mean, it's a lot more than just a song you hear on the radio. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. But like you said though, Scott, you know, 
this is subjective. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, and I know the three of us aren't on that, you know, Fetty Wap tip, and I'm sorry to keep mentioning his name, but it's stuck in my head now. <laughs> sorry about but, that. <laughs> uh, no, 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 it's all good. Yeah, now, now good. you're going to get him come looking for me. Yeah. <laughs> I've been into it with enough rappers. I got to live here if you don't. <laughs> but, uh, but I look at, like, my children, you know what I mean? My daughter and my son, and neither one of them really listen to hip-hop. The only hip-hop my son even listens to is the hip-hop I turned him on to, which is Run DMC right. and Don't Laugh Out Too Loud, but Will Smith, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? You know, the Fresh Prince, I really liked him in the, when he first began and things of that nature, and I even liked his uh, one of his later CDs. I, I, you know, I, and I tell people this, and they look at me like I'm crazy because a lot of people who I talk to, they really know how much I love hip-hop. I was like, Will Smith on that Big Willie style. He had one of the hardest lines I ever heard in, in rap. And it was like, I got so many zeros on my check. My check says, ooh. I was like, now see, there you go. You ain't got to curse. You ain't got to do all that. You know what I mean? Just something simple. But it was the part when he sat up here and said, what makes a hardcore rapper? <laughs> and he broke it down. Like the cars, right. there, the, he said, this and that. And he said, and the girls, Jada, please. <laughs> he was like, yo, exactly. he let you know right there. Like, are you serious? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, right. I mean, but there's just a prime example of somebody who, you know, just based off of what Det just said, and Scott, I don't know your opinion on it, here's a hip-hop artist that a lot of people overlook in Will Smith, but if you really look at what he did in the beginning and how he transcended the game and went into different mediums as a result of hip-hop, you gotta give him some credit. You have to, man. You know what I'm saying? You, know you gotta give him some credit. You said something, a couple, of, you know, right in the beginning of your statement. You said, don't laugh. I would never laugh about anyone talking about Will Smith. You listen to... The artist that, that got this whole thing started, the Big Daddy Kings, you know, the, the Mr. C's, you know, the Red Alerts. All the stories that they tell from back in the day, go back and listen to those old interviews, man. Will Smith and Jazz and and, and um, Jazzy Jeff are right there in the middle of all those stories. All of them. Yep. Exactly. Now, just, to even set, just to even tell you, they were nominated for a Grammy and actually, I think, won the Grammy, but didn't go to the Grammys because they backed all the other rappers saying, listen, if there's no category you really put us in, mm -hmm. then you don't need us there. And Kumo D, I think, was the only one who showed up and said, we need to represent somebody to represent there at the Grammys. Mm -hmm. And everybody else was at their, you know, were at their own, their own rapper Grammy party. Even Quincy Jones didn't go. Mm -hmm. He was there with Will Smith. Right. So, you know, you got to believe in somebody who knows really what the struggle is and what it was. Right. You can laugh this at you, 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 me. You can laugh at Will Smith all you want, but that brother was there in the beginning. He helped shape this thing. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. Uh, yeah. But um, that all being said, we have a monster show in store for you. The first part of a two-part series on Public Enemy's debut album, Yo Boom Rush the Show. Critical album to the culture. This album, more than any other at this point, triggers all kinds of side discussion on not only the state of hip-hop, but politics and its impact on African-American culture as a whole.
All right, all right. As always, we give you a little bit of hip-hop history, a little bit of black history, and positive notes for the day. Today, September 28th, 2015, we're going to take it back a few years. To this date right here in hip-hop history is legendary because in September 28th of 1993, KRS-One releases his first solo album, Return of the Boom Bat, one of the most legendary albums there was in history that came from this man. So remember that today, KRS-One released on September 28th, 1993, released his solo album, Return of the Boom Bat, a headbanger for real. And on this date in black history in 1991, it's a sad note that we have to repeat this one, but Jazz innovator Miles Davis dies. The trumpeter and composer Miles Davis died in Santa Monica, California from complications following a stroke. He was 65 years old. One of the greatest jazz men around in history, Miles Davis. Controversial now. We gotta get controversial with this. The first review we did, Illmatic. The second review, Reasonable Doubt. The third review, Public Enemies. Yo, Boom Rush the Show. You guys ready? For Come us? on now. You ready for? Oh us? yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So let's talk about it. I mean, the members of PE, well known, the infamous Chuck D, Flavor Flav, 
Professor Griff, Terminator X, Bomb Squad. I mean, just an epic crew. The S1Ws. The S1Ws. <laughs> Security of the first world. I was just about to say, do you know what the S1W stands for? Nah, I was I was a public enemy fan. Thank you, Chuck, for this album and many albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was a fan. Alright, I got some and, trivia and for plus, you. Go ahead, go ahead. Plus it was in the martial arts, so you know, it was kinda like, oh, these, these brothers are doing it. And with combat boots on kicking that high, I was like, good lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so go ahead, go ahead. Who introduced Chuck D? Who introduced Chuck D and Flav? To Rick Rubin. I'll, I'll let John see if he can answer it first. I don't I know. I'll be I'll be honest. I don't know because I always thought that um, Flav and Chuck. I thought they were boys growing up. Yeah, they so were. I guess together. I was wrong. No, no, no. You're right. Right. You're right. Okay. Okay. I thought they were boys growing up. You, I just thought that they started rocking and then. Nah, they were friends for a long time. They they recorded that first single, the Public Enemy Number One, right? But somebody brought that tape, Public Enemy Number One, to Rick Rubin. Who was it? As far as I, I remember, I mean, I remember, uh, what was it, uh, Dre, Dr. Dre used to have, a, not the Dr. Dre in California, but he used to have a, uh, a show in college, like on the radio, mm-hmm. and Flav used to come by there, and Chuck D used to come by there, and everything, as far as I know, and I think, I, I think it might have been him or uh, Ed Lover, was it? You're right. Well, the Ed Lover, Dr. Dre. You're right. It was Dr. Was Dre. It, him? it was Dr. Dre. Yeah. Dr. Dre yeah. brought that original recording to Rick Rubin. Yeah, because what happened was Flav used to get on the radio with Dr. Dre, mm-hmm. and they just, just used to have a, a snap fight on each other mm-hmm. about him being fat or him being black and stuff like that. And Flav was just, he became like a regular on their show. Mm-hmm. And from there, it was like, they, you know, Dr. Dre knew they had, a, they, they had something. I wonder where that brother's at right now, by the way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but they were staples of the hip hop community. They were yeah, they were back then. Yeah, they were. Yo, I mean, Yo MTV Raps was yeah, crazy. That was. that really, you know what I mean? When you think about MTV, and at some point we had to look at, you know, what I mean, and give MTV, give BET a little bit of credit for help perpetuating this art form because Yo MTV Raps. I mean, back where I'm from in Pittsburgh. You know, you had two cable systems, but one of them um, had BET, and the ones and the one cable system I had <laughs> um, didn't have BET. We had MTV, mm-hmm. and the one uh, cable system I think it was called Cube Cable or something like that right. that, that had BET. You know, they had the Donnie Simpson show on there, and and uh, you know all the all the BET shows that were staples back in the '80s. Mm-hmm. But for People who didn't live right in the inner city of Pittsburgh, for the most part, they didn't get cube cable. You had this other cable uh, system. And so my first exposure as far as seeing hip-hop and rap on TV was Yo! MTV Rap. So you figure Dr. Dre, Ed Lover, you figure about all the artists that they were able to help spring in into hip-hop and all the artists they were able to, you know, help get become bigger i mean because everybody was trying to get on yo mtv raps you know what i mean every artist yeah, you could possibly- after a while i think it was best that they did cancel it because i mean you had uh yeah fat five freddy then you had uh yeah dr dre at lover but after a while it kind of got generic and watered down and then it was like uh you know like like 
anytime when you let people take over total control and they think they know what they're doing, like, oh, I, I think the genre would love this. I think the people will start loving this. That's when you started having, you know, hip hop or reggae on there. Like, yeah, here comes the hot step. And they were playing that. Like, that was the hottest, you know, reggae song out. And it was like, all right, you know, that was good. Then you sit up there, they're playing Snap and, and all that other stuff. Like, and calling it hip hop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. that hip hop. That's, that's that's just regular dance music or pop music. Mm-hmm. So it went from away from hip hop to pop and dance music, and you know MTV really didn't know what to do with it. I mean, to tell you the truth, I'm not really a big fan of MTV. I'm not because I don't think they. Well, first of all, they didn't really want to play any of our our music on MTV mm-hmm. until it became. They came to Michael Jackson, and they had to actually have a fight to have him on there. And if you see any kind of videos on MTV, you'll notice the real video, a real black video, doesn't really get played like it should, like a white video does. You look at, uh, I'll take you all the way back to White Snake. White Snake, this chick's dancing on cars with like a thong on, and they're showing that on MTV. Mm -hmm. You put black girls in a thong or something like that, or... Or, you know, not just saying in a thong, but just in something skimpy or something like that. MTV cuts that part out. They won't play that part. Hmm. As if, like, we're we're too sexual for them to actually actually play it. But they're doing less than what that girl did or another person does on MTV in a white video. And I mean, by no means, don't let anybody sit up here and listen to the show and say, oh, he's racist or anything like that. I'm just telling you the way it was with MTV. I... I could say this quote as far as hip-hop. Hip-hop, to me, was like that brother down the street. We grew up together. So I was there from the beginning mm-hmm. to now to where it's come all full circle back to this garbage that they're calling rap now. You know, to see what MTV did, I'm just not a fan of it. I mean, well, not at all. Well, well, I mean, just like with anything else, I mean, anytime something becomes mainstream and commercial, you know, it's it's ruined. You know, I mean, hip hop at its core is underground. I mean, you talk about graffiti, you talk about you know the DJ, you talk about you know break dancing or whatever. You know what I mean? The music, everything is 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 underground. And then you bring it to the light, you make a commercial. You got people with their hands in the cookie jar that don't understand the culture, that don't understand the lifestyle. Once that happens, it's done. It's ruined. No doubt, no doubt. But that, but you see that with everything. Yeah, everything. You know, yeah. with with within our culture, you see the perpetuation of, you know, the whole breakdown of the African American community from a lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Let's just look at, you know, I know we're not talking about Biggie right now, but let me just bring up one particular point, and I think it'll illustrate it for everybody out there. You look at, in one of Biggie's songs, he talks about the World Trade Centers. You know, blow up like the World Trade. Right. Do you realize that when he was referencing it, he was referencing it from, I think it was 1980-some-odd, where the cats drove into the uh, parking garage of the World Trade Center and tried to blow it up, right? Yeah, that was 93. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was, okay, so 93. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, the word nigger is in, you know, every rap song that's out there. Mm -hmm. But after the World Trade Center... Uh, happened in, uh, you know, after 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. they actually started bleeping out, blow up the world trade in Biggie's song, mm-hmm. but left in the word nigger. Mm-hmm. So tell me how does that make sense? The word nigger to me 
You know what I mean? That's going to be more offensive if you're looking at, you know, blow up the world trade as a, you know, as a series of words that are offensive to people and brings about pain and, you know, bad memories and so on and so forth. Right. What the hell does the word nigger do? How, how doesn't that bring about pain? How doesn't that bring about bad memories? How doesn't that bring about, you know, the thought process of, you know, something that just isn't right or something that happened to a whole bunch of people that they don't want? You know what I'm saying? I mean, so anytime you can have a corporation say, okay, we're going to censor, you know, because the whole thing was, you know, Maxine Waters and all them, you know what I mean? Back when Cop Killer came out and, and Ice-T, they started censoring rap music, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to censor rap music, then you got to take all the bad words out. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, okay, well, these words are fine, even though they're offensive, such as the word nigger, mm-hmm. but blow up the world trade. No, no, that's way too offensive to have in there because that affects the whole country. Right. Well, let's look at the whole population of the African-American throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And, and you're letting that word get airplay. You're letting that word perpetuate itself. You're letting that word live and breathe. Mm-hmm. But blow up the world trade is just too harsh. You know what I mean? So to go to Dead's point and to your point, Scott, I just believe that in too many instances, the artist allows the record labels to predict to them what their art form should be. Exactly. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's often said that artists, you know, the whole starving artist concept, right? So you have, you know, Leonardo da Vinci and you have all these different artists. They did not work. All right. Their work was their art. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, 16th Chapel and all the different great works of art that are out there, those were commissioned works. And if people don't know what that means, commissioned work is where an artist gets paid by one person or a group of people in order to produce some form of art. Mm -hmm. So in the rap game, it's commissioned art. It's commissioned work. You know what I mean? You're getting paid to put out an album. So imagine if... The people who commissioned these great artists back in the day, uh, yeah, you know, the 16th Chapel, you need a little bit more blue over there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They, they, the money got out of the way and let the artists create. Right now, what you have is the money dictating to the artists what the artists must create. Mm-hmm. You need more nigger in there. You need more bitches and hoes in there. You need yeah. more this in there. You need more that in there. And so, therefore, what happens to the music is... The purists, the ones who really understand the music, the ones who really understand the art form and, and as it is, they start to pull away from it. Mm-hmm. So then what you have, these people who don't know anything, mm-hmm. putting more of this garbage out there. Right. And that's why, don't, don't get me wrong, you know what I mean? I have a very wide array of musical tastes. Right. And I can take certain pieces of music for as they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the line dancing music, you know what I mean? Do the whip, the nae and all that stuff. You know, I don't have a big problem with it because to me, you know, it's for kids and so on and so forth. They're not trying to, you know, enlighten anybody through those musical lyrics. It's a fun song. You know what I'm saying? To play at parties and weddings and things of that nature. Cool. But what you're going to have is you're going to have more of that. You're going to have less of the substances rap that where hip-hop came from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're, you're going to have less of the public enemies like we're about to talk about today. You're going to have less of the KRS-1s and things of that nature because those individuals are going to gravitate away from rap or hip-hop because they see how the industry has been taken over by the corporate heads and the money. So what are you doing? You're killing the art form. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know what, I cannot. Yeah. I, I don't think they, they could... Uh 
ever killed the art form because, like I said, I, you know, I grew up with hip hop, and I grew up in the era when hip hop was a true culture. It was b-boying, it was graffiti, it was, uh, you know, it was MCing, it was all of that stuff. I grew up along those those times when when hip hop was our own culture. It was our own thing. It hadn't gotten watered down. It hadn't gotten Americanized. It was our our thing from you know, from, you know, coming out of the, the hoods or the ghettos or, or coming out of just the black culture itself. I grew up doing all of that when it was that. I mean, you know, like I said before, don't get me wrong, by no means am I a racist or think that, the, you know, any race is more dominant than the other. But it's the fact that I grew up during that time that I feel later on as mainstream society got a hold of it they started to water it down. Now, you have some that still are trying to still stay connected to the old roots of hip hop, and lyrically they come up with some ingenious stuff and keep it all on that line. Mm -hmm. But when you have now rappers that go on stage and they dress like women while they're on stage rapping and you know it's all this bubblegum rap or you just got one hook throughout the whole you know song, Okay, yeah, you know, it's a it's a good beat, it's a good song, you know, good music, uh, musically, but the lyrics suck. You are not a rapper to me, so I don't know how to even put you in a rap category. I'll sit there and I watch uh, BET mm -hmm. or some of these other award shows, and they say, yeah, best rap video or best rap song out this year, and I'm like, that's not a rap. Mm -mm. That's, that's, that's crap. That's garbage. So I let mean, me ask you a question, you and John. What do you say to the kids or to the younger generation that looks at us and says, you guys are living in the past. You guys are too old to understand what it is that's out there right now. What do you say to those, to those people? I, the same thing that, that uh, the generation before us, like our parents said, mm -hmm. you guys don't know what music, real music is. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, it takes you years to grow up and understand what real music is. I mean, the shy lights, the temptations, you know, the, you got to, the, the four tops, you got to listen to stuff like that. You got to listen to Smokey Robinson, a lot of Smokey Robinson's lyrics. You got to go back and listen to your black music and understand what, what our parents were talking about, about real music, real love music from the 60s, the 70s, mm -hmm. music that has soul, music that had that, that, that heart in it, that rhythm, that, that, you know, where people actually, you know, they did whatever to survive to make that music for you. That's what I say, you know, that we have to say to these kids, like, listen, y'all don't know what real music is. Go back and listen to uh, hip hop. I say like this yesterday when I was doing the, uh, you know, the uh, promo photo shoot, uh, we went to, there was a, there was two graffiti artists just finished mm -hmm. doing a wall. And I like to say they were white graffiti artists just finished their wall. We took pictures in front of it. I did all, you know, the promo pictures in front of it and everything. And, uh, those cats sat up there and I told them, I said, for, it's for an old school, you know, hip hop show in, in a magazine, you know, the golden age hip hop uh, article, or whatever. And they were like, well, what's old school hip hop to you? And one of the guys said it, they kind of cursed. He said, because if you effing say that, you know, old school is this or that, he said, I'm going to get upset. And I looked at him and I was like, it's me. And the other guy was like, we had two young kids come out here watching us do this earlier. And they said old school was uh, Tupac and Biggie. 
And I started laughing. I said, nah, man. I said, I'm from back in the days with the, the symphony, the Sugar Hill Gang. I'm from back in the days with Cool Z Rap, you know, Big Daddy Kane, you know, the Funky Four Plus One More. I'm, you know, I'm from way back with Cold Crush. I'm back with them. Mm-hmm. Way back, you know, I said, the Wild Style videos, like, way back when. I said, dude, I'm I'm from back in those times. You can even actually add Warriors into uh, into the hip-hop era a little bit because oh, for sure. it was gangs first, and then it became crews, and crews started, instead of fighting, they started battling hip-hop, you know, b-boying. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I would first tell them that. Go back and research your history, and y'all don't understand what music is, is you know. And sorry that I'm taking, you no. know, I'm taking up a lot of time on this one, but no. today is my birthday, and I'm enjoying because uh, this is my selection. I'm enjoying Public Enemy on this one. Thank you know, like I said, thanks again, Chuck. All well, right. yeah. well, that's what Public Enemy does. I mean, it drives these types of discussions, which leads me to my next question: How are we now? Listen, when I say we, I'm not talking about the African American community. I'm talking about the hip hop community, which transcends right. which which transcends any type of a race. You know what I'm saying? True. It, 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 how? That all being said, what Det just said about knowing your history, and I think I just answered my own question. How are we so duped into believing that this bullshit that we hear on the radio, this this commercial crap that we hear, how are we so duped into thinking and believing that this is hip-hop? I think because you have, you know, and kind of dovetailing off your last question, that says something very important mm-hmm. in his last statement. Mm-hmm. He said what our parents used to expose us to. Mm-hmm. They used to expose us to the Donny Hathaways. They exposed us to the Earth, Wind, and Fires. They exposed us to the Shy Lights and those, but they could share that music with us because the music wasn't, in a lot of ways, overly sexualized. The music wasn't, mm-hmm. the music wasn't mentally damaging. Mm-hmm. Let me put it like that. And the music didn't paint a negative mental picture. Mm-hmm. Whereas, unfortunately, unless you go back to the 70s and the 80s, there really isn't that much hip-hop that doesn't have negative connotations in it that you can sit down with a 10, 12-year-old kid and share that music with them. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, the old school keeps moving forward and forward and forward because there's only a finite amount of music that is shareable with somebody of a young mind to help build their musical appreciation. So now to go into your, your current question, the industry is going to put out what the industry thinks the consumer wants. Mm-hmm. It's up to the consumer to not buy what the consumer doesn't want mm-hmm. in order to speak to the industry. So therefore, the industry will start searching and putting out better music to feed the consumer. Mm-hmm. Supply and demand is just that simple. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, I don't listen to Fetty Wap's music, Fetty Wap's music, whatever his name is. But I'm just going to use him as an example, and I'm not Trash. trying to. <coughs> Excuse uh, me. Yeah, I'm not, you know. But if they, you know, put out, you know, 15 million Fetty Wap CD, Fetty Wap CDs, and 15 million stay on the shelf, guess who's not going to get another album deal? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if they put out 15 million Fetty Wap CDs and 14.5 million sell. Guess who's getting another record deal? Right, right. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where everyone always has to remember that the youth of our generation, whatever, whenever that youth comes, you know what I mean? For my kids, the youth of their generation, who knows what they're going to be into. But the youth is always looking for something new. 
they're always looking for something to call their own. Mm -hmm. Because just like when hip hop came out, hip hop, I think, was born from a lot of people who, you know, liked music, but wanted to express their music in a different way. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want their parents' music. Rock and roll was born that way. Rock and roll born from jazz. Hip hop born from R&B and jazz. So what you have is there's going to be a constant perpetuation of the art form moving forward, the art form being music as a whole, and it's going to break down into these different subsets, mm -hmm. rock and roll, jazz, hip-hop, classical, so on and so forth. So as the hip-hop segment of this larger art form perpetuates itself forward, where is it going to be unless people like us doing this podcast help remind people about the hip-hop golden age, about what hip-hop is really about? Mm-hmm. Because with that, and if more people start to gravitate towards the real hip-hop, then the trash hip-hop will do away with itself. That's natural selection. You know what I mean? It's going to fall by the wayside on its own. You know, when, look at like the Rappin' Duke, when that came out in the 80s, mm -hmm. right? It was a cool little ditty. You know what I mean? Everybody pumped it for, you know, four to six weeks. But dude didn't get no record deal off that. Nah, you know what I'm saying? One and done. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. He was he was he was one of those one and done. He's on VH1. Where are they now? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just that simple. Why? Because the art form at that time was still at its purest sense where you couldn't get the gimmick in. Mm -hmm. You know, the gimmick would come in briefly and then the gimmick would leave. Whereas now the art form is so watered down that the gimmicks stay for much longer. Mm -hmm. And it's up to those who really enjoy hip hop who really understand the cultural aspects that it has and who really understand how this is truly an art form and not just some, some person who's kind of clever with a thesaurus and some beat master putting some things together. Because right now, that is 50% of the industry. Right. Where you do have somebody in a thesaurus and somebody picking a beat and some record exec looking at somebody and saying, huh, yeah, I think we can make a hip hop star out of him right. or her. Right. I maintain. You know what I'm saying? So they're manufactured. Yeah, I, I definitely maintain what, what we said, what we've been saying these past few episodes, that it's, it's about the message. It's about the lesson. You know what I mean? If you're not pulling something, if you're not taking, from, taking something from these records, from these albums, then, then, what is it, then what is it that you're doing? You know what I mean? I mean, I, I'll tell you guys a story that I think sum it all up. Um, the artist uh, Trinidad James. Remember that song he had a couple years ago? You know, nigga, 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 nigga. Remember that song? Trash. Yeah. <laughs> barely, barely. I well, listened to it one time on the radio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it burns me up. It burns me up because I have a serious disdain for the word for obvious reasons. Okay. Yeah, I want to say nothing, John. You were cutting my soul every time you were talking about it earlier. I was like, oh god, oh god. But it's, it's but it's well, important yeah. that, that it's, it's definitely important that we bring it up and we and we expose it. You know what I mean for for the ridiculousness, you know, that, 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 it, that it brings. I mean, the fact that it burns you up is, 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 is incredibly relevant. But I'll tell you a story that I'll sum it all up. I was in Bahrain. It's a little small country in the Middle East about a year ago, by, 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 about a year and a half ago. I was in a taxi. I got in the taxi. The driver turns around. He said, what's up, nigga? I said, oh, what? I mean, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Like, why are you talking to me like that, you know? And he was like, well, that's how you... You know, that's how you talk to each other. I mean, you are hip-hop, right? And I said, what does that mean? And then he started talking about, you know, all these different songs that he's hearing on the radio. And he's like, you know, 
he started getting apologetic. He said, I'm sorry, but you know, that's how you talk to each other, right? And I said, absolutely not. That is not how we talk to each other. Just to kind of give you an idea for the power, you know what I'm saying, that, 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 that you know, hip hop has worldwide and the power that these big studios, these commercial studios have, you know, and the impact that they have internationally. They think that that's how we talk to each other. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it, it bothered me. It still bothers me now telling the story. It's, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, mm -hmm. just like that. And it's like we had talked about on the last two reviews about Nas and about Jay-Z being so wise when, they, when their first LPs dropped mm -hmm. and how much knowledge they put into their first LPs. Mm -hmm. People got to understand that what you consume eventually becomes a part of you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just that simple. And the more of that nigger consumption that's out there, then the more the youth is going to gravitate towards being niggas. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And the industry, they realize that. And I mean the industry, I mean the corporate. They realize that. So what is their agenda for keep putting out this music that obviously has no upliftment power? Like you said on the very first one, Scott, that we all did together, the very first podcast that we all did together, mm -hmm. you quoted KRS-One. If rap music has the ability to tear people down, it has the ability to lift people up. And I'm not quoting them. You did. I can't do a good job at quotes. My memory's not that good. <laughs> but that's what he but said, the though. message, mm -hmm. yeah, but the message is there. Mm -hmm. So now you look at it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an introspective type of guy. So when I look at that, I, I look at it from the perspective of if the industry knows, and again, I'm talking about corporate America, if they know that if they play certain type of music, like the song Cop Killer, Ice-T, that was the one that first started the parental advisory and explicit lyrics type conversation. Mm -hmm. If you can say that that music or that song will cause violence, then you can also say that putting music out that only talks about the destruction and the, and of, a, of a whole culture is also going to, you cannot say, you cannot sit back and say that that's not going to have a negative effect. But yet the corporations want to sit back and say, well, that's the music. That, that's when that's not the music. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I look at when Drake first came out, he dropped all these mixed CDs and he did all these things, all these different uh, songs and all these, you know, different things out there. Barely, his music barely had the word nigger in it. Mm -hmm. Two albums later, Cash Money, Every one of his songs, it's like every verse ended with, you know, beat, 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 hook, 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 nigga. Beat, 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 hook, 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 nigga. I was like, now what? Now, now obviously, that artist was making hay and making, and, and making a name for himself without using the word nigga. He get hooked up with the corporation. Now he has to use the word nigga every, every two bars. That's no coincidence either. There's no coincidence. Mm -hmm. There's no coincidence. Mm -hmm. See, that's why I love this, this, this week's episode, man. Public Enemy does this to us. Definitely a great selection. So my yeah, question, no yeah, my third question and my last, you talk about, like, you know, Illmatic. You talk about Reasonable Doubt. What would you classify those two artists and those two albums as? What would you classify them? I would have to say that both Nas and Jay-Z mm -hmm. were more street rappers. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. And I know Nas wasn't the biggest street rapper, but for me, he's, mm -hmm. he spoke about things that were happening in the street. Mm -hmm. You know, so I would say they were more so street rappers or street okay. hip hop. All right. Also, definitely very cerebral. 
right? Very cerebral. True. Okay. So then, you know, what's popular now, right now in 2015, obviously, straight out of Compton, the story of NWA, you would obviously classify them as gangster rap, right? What would you classify Public Enemy as? Political conscious rap. Yeah, political, exactly. I was exactly. just about to say that. Political conscious exactly. rap. Yeah. They filled the lane back then. Why do you think, you know, again, this is just me just, just throwing questions out there. Why do you think they took off as, you know, as quickly and as powerfully as they did with this, with this particular type of hip-hop? Why? Nobody was doing that back then. You know what I mean? Right. I honestly think to coin a phrase from what's, you know, from out there today, mm -hmm. because the, the public was thirsty mm -hmm. for something such as this. You got to look at what was going on in the 80s. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You had Ronald Reagan in office. You had double-digit unemployment in the black community, upwards of 14%. You had 18% interest rates. You had the steel mills. You had, you know, everybody was laying off. You had the whole labor force in the country mm -hmm. basically drawing down by around 25 to 35%. Mm -hmm. You had, you know what I mean? And then you think about the East Coast, you talk about that Rust Belt, you know, that New York, Ohio, Pitt, uh, Pennsylvania, you know, Detroit. You know, you had whole areas mm -hmm. where there was a term coined because, called the uh, Great White Flight. Right. Because all these steel mills and all these labor uh, uh, industries were literally shuttering their doors. They were literally going out of business. Mm -hmm. So you had, you know, thousands of people who were leaving, thousands of people who are now on unemployment. You had the savings and loan scandal. You had so much political unrest going on at that time. This was the perfect time mm -hmm. for PE. You know what I mean? I'll, you know, they always say the mother of invention is necessity, or necessity is the mother of invention. Right. Well, the same thing can be said for art. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Through pain, struggle, and strife, art is born. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so right. with that, and with that social climate at that time, and also thinking of what Chuck D and Public and uh, Flavor Flav, where they were, before they came together and started making music, how they were impacted by the 70s, how they were impacted by the 60s. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because these, at this time in 83, these guys were 25 years old, probably. Right. You know what I mean? So they weren't kids. Mm -hmm. These were adults speaking to younger adults and children about the political and social climate around them and trying to raise those individuals up. Mm -hmm. And once their music took hold, which is, you know, that was a problem for the industry. The industry was pissed off. They thought they were going to fall by the wayside real quick. Mm -hmm. But once they took off in the S1Ws, you know what I mean? And then Farrakhan came around and then you had the Fruit of Islam and people comparing the Fruit of Islam, which is the security force for those who don't know, for the minister comparing the fruit of Islam to the S1Ws about how, you know, how tactical and how militarized they are. And it, you know, that whole, you know, because the Black Panther movement was pretty much uh, deaded by 75, 76, mm -hmm. but then you have the S1Ws kind of bringing that back a little bit. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So the industry became afraid of them. Right. Because as KRS once said, if it has the power to corrupt, it has the power to uplift. And PE started that upliftment. I remember the first time I seen or ever heard of PE. I mean, this this album here, Yo Bum Rush the Show, this is their debut, by the way. Came out in 87. So I'm thinking, all right, 87, I was in seventh grade, you know. Um, 
you know, don't really know anything about anything back then. You know what I'm saying? But um, they came on MTV. I believe it was an interview. It might have been your MTV raps. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But Chuck was on there. Flav was on there. And Professor Griff was on there. It was them three. And I believe Tremere X, too. He was on there. But this group here, they were talking about the group. And they had so much structure. They were so structured. And I can't remember who the VJ was who was actually doing the interview. But I remember he was, act, he was asking Chuck a direct question. And Chuck said one thing. He said, you need to ask Griff. Griff is the minister of information. I was right. like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? You know what I mean? This was like, this was something else right here. This, this was something right. different. You know what I mean? And I, I, I mean, I have to admit, you know, being in the seventh grade, I mean, how old are you in the seventh grade? You're 11 years old, 12 years old. Right. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't relate to what was going on. But my brother Kareem, you know, my brother Kareem was all over this all over this you know this changed the way he talked pe changed the way he dressed i mean six o'clock in the morning this album is all i heard this was this was and and, you know obviously an incredibly important time but the message was crucial for hip-hop back then in 87. no doubt no doubt i know that this is this is your album you know this is your time to shine i'm gonna bring you in with the first track of this legendary album you're gonna get yours um let me first tell you why this particular track stood out for me. I mean, beside the fact that this was just this was just Chuck. I mean, that, that's all I can say, right? This was just Chuck telling you how he dealt with suckers. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, dude. That this is around the time when everybody started having those big Oldsmobiles, ninety, because it was plush, you know, plush seating on the inside. You had a uh, you had right. enough room for you and your friends to get into. Uh, it, those cars were pretty much indestructible, and they. They just looked nice. It was just an old school car that looked nice. Mm-hmm. Just the old 98 Oldsmobile. To tell you the truth, I wish I actually had one today just to keep and hold uh, as, you know, just as a collector's item because you can't really find those anymore. No. The old, old Oldsmobile 98. We even had a, 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 a crew of dudes that was in our town back in the days, back in uh, Morristown. It was like, we called them the, the old, old school car crew or like the old, the big car crew. Because that's all they had. Everybody in that whole clique had 98 Oldsmobiles. Or they tried to get the the most different color out of all the, the Oldsmobiles. And they all had those big Oldsmobiles. And I'm going to tell you now, those things ran on the highways. Mm-hmm. Boy. Fast. They were oh, fast. Yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were fast. Ooh. They were fast. They used to float. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah they definitely float. As far as this song right here, the first one on on Chuck's album, to me, he put a lot of information in there. He, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, it, seconds to the high decide. I know you hate my '98. You're gonna get yours. Mm-hmm. And you know, listen, my '98 isn't just a vehicle. It's a tank. It's it's, it's a revolutionary vehicle. Mm-hmm. It, it's ready for whatever. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way I felt. And he said, you know, driving by, waving my fist, making him mad when I'm I'm going like this. Yeah. Top Gun never on the run. That lets you know right there. Listen, I'm not running nowhere. This this is what it is. I'm raising my black fist in the air, saying you get power to the people. Mm-hmm. And my '98, you know, gonna make you get yours. Right, right. I mean, you look at a picture of a '98, right? You go online, you you, you research an Oldsmobile '98. That car looks like a yacht. It's huge. You know, yeah, you're, right? not, you're not thinking about speed when you look at an Oldsmobile '98, right? But you go in the second verse, and Chuck is talking about leaving you in the dust, you know, so you know I get paid. Watch me burn rubber, fall in my flame. Those cars used to get up, man. 
Right. I love the way the uh, second verse opens because my my uh, my uncle used to have a car dealership in Pittsburgh. Um, it was actually in Ambridge, PA, called Jim Dowdy Oldsmobile and Cadillac. And I used to work there. <laughs> I used to wash the cars. And so that Oldsmobile 98, you know what I mean? We used to joke around about it being a four-body trunk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because as you guys have already said, it was a huge vehicle. Right. And so I used to see it. I used to see it as that way where, again, looking at the fact of what was going on in society at that time, where, you know, you have five or six friends, one of y'all may have a car. So you want a car that's going to fit everybody so you can go to the house parties, go hang out, do what you're going to do. So that Oldsmobile 98 was perfect for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And Chuck opens up first two talking about searching my body for fucking what? Because my gun's just for fun and my knife don't cut. So you have, what is he talking about there? Police brutality. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Getting mm-hmm. pulled over, cops pull everybody out of the car. Oh, you're a public enemy. We heard you got a gun. Dude, that's a metaphor. My gun is my microphone. Mm-hmm. That's why he's saying search because my gun's just for fun. That's his rap game. And my knife don't cut. Right. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, so he's talking about being looked at as a black male in 1987, not just in look being looked at as a black male in 1987 by society. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Always getting pulled over. You know, I get ill on my posse with a, with my goddamn hands. Troubles me not. I don't mean the cause. I mean, he just keeps going. He just keeps going. Just talking about how the social injustice was so heavy back then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How can I make you understand? You know what I'm saying? How right. can I make you understand? He's pleading to, to, to people to just try to say, how can I make you understand the plight of black men out here right now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What exactly. we're going exactly. through. As- it's kind of like along the lines, too, when he is, is it shows you his reference, not just to say, okay, because early, you know, early in the song before you, uh, you know, you, you sit up there and you come at that, you sit, he sits up there and he says, you know, that uh, I go faster, cops try to shoot me. They'll get theirs when they try to get get to me. And, and it's like, yo, he's sitting up there already telling you, listen, these people are out here trying to get you and make sure you, you know, you yourself got to be a revolutionary or a, you know, you got to be a vigilante. Because later on in the, in, the, uh, in the track, he references the Green Hornet. Yeah. He says, looking like the part of Green Hornet had. Right, right. Understand, the Green Hornet got fed up with you know, the way society was going, if, you, if you're if you in that comic books like that or comics itself, he got fed up with the way society was going and took it upon himself to become a vigilante. So I, I think he this song right here was just a strong standpoint. Listen, you know, we're not putting up with this shit no more. Excuse my language. You're going to get yours. Mm-hmm. He was also talking to, you know, his competition. I saw an interview with Chuck D a long time ago where he was saying when they first, when Public Enemy first started becoming like a thing, right? They started becoming a group. They got a lot of hate, you know, from other artists that didn't understand, you know, the position that that Public Enemy was taking. And a a really popular story back then was, you know, Grandmaster Melly Mel. He said that when he first saw Public Enemy on stage, he thought that they were whack. You know, he was booing them off the stage, like, get these guys off the stage. You know, even Mel, even, you know, legendary Grandmaster Melly Mel didn't understand. But if you look at the lyrics and really dissect what Chuck was talking about in this song, he was talking just as much about social injustice as he was talking about his competition, 
you know, the haters in the game exactly. that were that were coming after them. You know, so exactly. you're going to get yours, you know? you know. And he addresses that full full frontal mm -hmm. in verse three. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The first the first stanza in verse three talks about exactly what you just said from the social side as well as from the industry side. Mm -hmm. Cold bum rushing doors like at first it's something. Mm -hmm. Meaning when I first got in the game, I thought Chuck is saying about himself. When I first got in the game, I thought, you know, rushing through the door and being on stage was where it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But then he comes back with, but all we realize that the show ain't nothing. Mm -hmm. Meaning that what you do on stage, it really is, it really isn't about that. It's only for the stunts and the blunts. Mm -hmm. And everybody remember what stunts were back in the day. Those were, those were chicks. Mm -hmm. Whole world inside. The reason that the mighty use force supplied. No, no competition will stomp all in our way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So basically, like you just said, Scott, he's talking about at first we're trying to get into the door to be part of the show. Now we want out of the show. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We don't even want to be in there anymore. Mm -hmm. Cause what we're talking about, we're talking about something way bigger than what's inside that building right there. And we're not just doing it for the chicks in the weed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We're doing it for the whole world to see because we're trying to bring the, we're trying to put this social injustice on stage. Let's remember 1987. What are we not even 20 years removed from Jim Crow? Yeah. Think think about that. Think about that. So you figure Chuck D's parents, you figure all all of his parents' peers went through Jim Crow. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So you figure that type of influence going into the mind of somebody who can wax poetically. Come on. So this is so this is what you get. You know what I mean? Because an mm -hmm. artist is an artist from birth. Mm -hmm. People are just artists. You know what I mean? That's their God-given talent. So however their art comes out, whatever medium that art comes out in, that's how they're going to express it, mm -hmm. irrespective of, you know what I mean, irrespective of that medium. So you figure if Chuck D was a painter, he was going to have a lot of paintings dealing with social injustice. Mm -hmm. If he was a sculptor, mm -hmm. he was going to have sculptures about social injustice, so on and so forth. He happens to be a hip-hop artist. Mm -hmm. So that's why everything he talked about was about the social injustice from the very beginning. Hence why the whole album bum rushed the show. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Because we're coming in and we're taking over the entire industry and we're putting a new face on it. Yeah. Because again, like we talked about earlier, you know, from about 84 to about 87, rap started to get a little gimmicky. Mm -hmm. And so he's probably sitting back as a, you know, I'm not saying that he just picked up a mic in 1987. I'm quite sure he was picking up mics and street battles and so on and so forth well before that. Mm -hmm. So he's seeing where the industry and this art form is going from where it came. And he's like, nah, man, we got to do something about this. Yeah. We, we have to do something about this. We have to set this right because this music is too important for it to just go this whole gimmicky route. Exactly. He said it, he said it clear as day. Caught in my smoke. All they did was joke. You know I'm no joke. <laughs> Chuck was vicious with it, man. Most definitely. Chuck was vicious with it. I, I, shoot. I love this album. All of that. Let me ask so. you guys something. Let me ask you guys something. I mean, we, we've, you know, our objective on this show is to cover the greats, the legendaries, you know, and Chuck definitely falls in line with that. I mean, they're in the hip hop, they're in the, you know, rock and roll hall of fame. Where does Chuck D sit lyrically? I don't think for me, Chuck D isn't a lyricist. Right. To I'm, me, Chuck yeah. D is a storyteller. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Because 
he doesn't use double and triple on entendres. He's coming at you. He's you don't have to break down Chuck's lyrics. Mm-mm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He lays it down quite flat. Right. You're not you don't have to sit there and say, okay, what does he mean by this? What is he? He's talking about his 98 Oldsmobile. He says that all the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the very beginning, we're going to rush him like the Bears in the 46. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows back then the 46 defense was, you know, the formidable, the most formidable defense in the NFL. Right. So it, it so while that's not a double entendre, some will say, well, John, you know, that could be. I'm like, no, that's a reference. A double entendre is something that's referencing without you knowing that is referencing until you dig into it. He's given a clear, direct reference to that defense. So that's just an example of he didn't use the double entendres, and I don't think a lot of rappers did back then until the 90s as they started getting more subliminal with it. Mm-hmm. But he's really flat. To me, he's a storyteller. He's, he's not a lyricist. I think there's a difference. Right. I mean, there's no second guessing where Chuck's coming from, right? I mean, he's letting you know exactly what he's talking about. It's clear. It's concise. There's no. There's no. You know. There's no confusion about what he's what he's trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a different thing. You know. So mm-hmm. his. Uh, you know, his his lyrics may be different to everybody. I mean, like I said, on here or this whole album was the first time I really heard revolutionary on a revolutionary on wax mm-hmm. with something I could relate to. I mean, I've heard. You know, all kind. I've heard the Black Panthers speeches. I've heard Malcolm X speeches. I've heard a whole bunch of other stuff before this, mm-hmm. but I never actually heard something that that was getting across the air to me and making me understand that you know, listen, we don't have to put up with certain things, and you know, we don't have to deal with the negativity from our own race, let alone negativity from the cops and the other people that hate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's. It killed me just to hear it. That's what made sucked me in. It was like, yo, I gotta, I gotta have more of this. No doubt, no doubt. Everything that you just said, that is one hundred percent correct. And I mean, we're just going to keep belaboring the point because we all pretty much feel the same way. Mm-hmm. But it, def- it, it definitely needs to be said about when Public Enemy came in the door. I love the title of the LP because it's Yo Bum Rush the show. We are taking over, we are taking the minds back of the youth and putting something of substance in their heads. You know what I mean? Because at this time, the youth, and I was one of the youth at, that, at, at this time in 1987, graduating high school, you know, this is when I went into the Marine Corps. We were looking for some way, something, somebody, in order to help give us a little bit of further vision than what we already had. Mm-hmm. Because pretty much a lot of us only had the vision of our neighborhood. sophisticated bitch now this is kind of a departure right from that political consciousness rap that you know pe was bringing now now granted this was their first album so maybe they didn't have their image or their or their message solidified at this point you know what i'm saying but 
first of all, let's talk about the production. I mean, classic Rick Rubin, you know, guitar riffs, the snares, the rock music feel. But somebody had Chuck mad for him to make this this particular record right here. You know what I mean? This is not your your typical Chuck D standard that we're used to now. But not at all. You know what I mean? Not at all. Yeah, I mean he put he put superficial women on notice with this one. <laughs> Right, and I think he was talking about a specific one. Yeah, that. oh yeah, he somebody had him, and it was the wrong move for whoever that 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 particular woman was. But I gotta think, man, at this point in Chuck's life, at this point in his career, he's got to look back on this particular record and be like, "Damn, I fucked up with this one." Right? Well, you know what? I I don't know, but I I feel what you guys are saying. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna say at the same time, uh, if if Chuck did go that route with this. If he did, you know, say, listen, I need to tell the chick about herself. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> say what's on your mind. Yeah. That's the way I feel. I've mm-hmm. preached that. I'm not. That's why I tell people how I feel about it or what I think now. Because I don't want to die and be in heaven. You'd be like, you know, it was something I wanted to tell that son bitch when I was down there. Now I don't have a chance to. So I got to haunt his family. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you now. <laughs> if she messed up. She need to know. If she's a booker, she needs to know. <laughs> I'm not going to go out of my way and disrespect nobody, but you're not also going to treat me booker. like crap either. Y'all listen, man. <laughs> I, if she wants to act like a booker, and that's, that's to me, a booker's ugly. If you want to act like an ugly person, you know, I've seen the most beautiful women look ugly because of the way they act and treat people. So if you want to act like that, somebody should tell you. I'm not disagreeing, but my thing is, Neither am I. Public Enemy, they came with this, you know, we're defending, you know, we're defending black culture. We're defending hip-hop culture. You know what I'm saying? We, we're putting, you know, police brutality on notice. You know, we're talking about politics. We're opening up your eyes. You know what I'm saying? We're awakening you. We're, we're, we're opening your eyes. And then you got this record right here. Where does this record fit? Anger. Just that whole montage that you just laid out. Mm-hmm. He's he's angry. He's angry at society for all these ills mm-hmm. that society is putting on the inner city, my um, the inner city black folks. Right. Mm-hmm. We're talking about police brutality, all the things that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I got to deal with this with with this chick over here, yeah. who's giving me who, who's just throwing me shade. And all I'm trying to do is, you know, from his perspective, because he opens it up with. Just leave her ass in the corner till her feet get cold. I mean, that's some old player. You know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, knowing for a fact that this girl was whack. So he's telling his friends, don't mess with her because I already tried. And she ain't, a, you know, she's a booger, as Dead said. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, just so just stay away from her. <laughs> I don't. I actually don't see it that way. When I listened to it a long time ago when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I saw it as him sitting up here telling these chicks that are out here with this you know like educating a black woman just a message to the black woman if you're sitting up there and you're you're looking at things like oh well you know as it says and you know her demands for the man with the chemical look right at the time that was that generic brother that had the the cur- the S curl in his head and you know the leather pants or the you know dressed a certain way did this sense they looked for materialistic things because mm-hmm. America was telling us our sisters hey listen go you know go get your hair done this way you know go get this and that done you look for a brother with a certain look that uh, you know he looks uh, light bright damn near white mm-hmm. you know 
He looks like hey, that. Hey, hey, hey. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying anything that y'all ain't here. Come on, stop it. That's what it was at that time. There was a, it was a stereotype that <laughs> sisters were looking for at that time. So instead of just looking for that stereotype, look for a good man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If you sit up there and you got sisters out here in the street talking about, oh, I can't never find a good man or all these guys out here, they ain't worth nothing. Well, you know what? You got to look within yourself and find out to yourself, like, what is it about me that keeps attracting these no good so-and-sos to, to, to myself? Don't sit up there and just point it out. What is it that you're looking for? Stop this material stuff. Stop looking on TV to try and find out who your man is supposed to be and look within yourself. So I think that's pretty much what it was, this materialistic woman. Get your butt off that material stuff that society is telling you that you're supposed to have this, supposed to have that. Because even it even says further after that, wishes, desires, getting worse with age. Mm-hmm. She don't want a man. All she wants is a page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you see in the magazine, what you see on TV, what you see on page six, what you see going into the clubs, that's what you want. Yeah, she she thinks she's classy, but, you know, it's really, you know, really a pub. You know what, De- listening to your explanation, I'm going to retract what I said earlier. This, this particular record does belong on the album, you know what I mean? Because this is part of the awakening right here. I mean, he's tired. He's, he's definitely tired of, 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 you know, seeing this type of woman out there on the street. You know what I'm saying? Going after these, you know, doing these type of things. Like you listen, like, for example, in verse 5, I mean, he basically defines or puts hood rats on notice. You know what I mean? He said, little is known about her past, so listen to me because I know her ass. Used to steal money out of her boyfriend's clothes and never got caught. So the story goes. He's talking about hood rats right there. Yeah, no doubt. No and doubt. he's and he's warning you, look, stay away from these women, man. You don't need these type of women, they're not gonna get you anywhere. You need somebody that Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I feel you, but you could jump around all over this whole song. Yeah. And see everything he's saying, just like in that hood rats thing and, and what I was saying before. You see it all over. Uh, Verse 3, jacket, shoes, everyday ties. The girl only wants one of those guys. Mm -hmm. Suckers who front like it ain't no thing, pretend to be friends, don't want a thing. You know what I mean? They're looking at material stuff instead of looking really for what, you know, what you should sit up there and be. Right. Yo, Chuck, run a power move on him. Track three, I think now we're starting to get into 
the meat of who and what public enemy is. You know what I mean? This for me, my Uzi weighs a ton. They define who they are. You know, PE defines themselves with this particular with this with this, with this with this track right here. Um first, you know, if you if you look at the hook, you mean that's like the hook, you know. My Uzi weighs a ton, hold it, you know, rock, get up, get down, whatnot. They were seen as as dangerous, as volatile in the media because of lyrics like that. And again, I go back to the media not understanding, you know, what hip hop was. They didn't know what it was back in 87. And when you hear lines like that, my Uzi weighs a ton, you know, hold it. They're probably thinking like, who the hell? We need to look at these people. I mean, they're dangerous, you know. Who are these people? But they didn't understand that Chuck was using that as a as a metaphor, you know, my Uzi, that's his head, that's his brain. You know what I'm saying? That's not an actual gun that he's holding in his hand. Yeah, most mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was one of the most popular firearms back at that time. It was. Know what I'm saying? It was. Um, when you look at the New York City drug dealers in 1987, I mean, my goodness. I mean, you're going to have some of the, some big names popping out there because of that crack explosion. You know what I mean? So when I first heard this, this was the cut that really made me, you know, really peek my ears up to PE. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Be like, okay, these cats right here, they're really going hard. And they got something that ain't nobody in the industry got right now. Right, right. They have that fire and that ferociousness. You know what I mean? They were they were coming so raw with it, you couldn't do anything but pay attention, especially when you look at when you hear this track. I mean, even from the production, it makes you want to get up and jump. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you hear that background, you hear that beat, yeah, you're already going to start bobbing your head. I mean, that's just that's just going to happen. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I don't think Chuck gets enough credit, enough respect for being, and we talked about this on the first track for being a lyricist. Like he's not, you know, he's not going to dazzle you with his with his with his wordplay. You know what I mean? And all that. But he does say things to make you think, like, for example, my Uzi weighs a ton. I go back to that. I mean, my Uzi weighs a ton. He's telling you I'm heavy. You know, what I'm saying is deep. The words that I'm using are dangerous. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. he says that to you later on. And then he says, uh, number one in the public eye enemy, because mm-hmm. I'm wanted in 50, almost 51 states where the posse got me on the run. Mm-hmm. It's a big wonder why I haven't gone under dodging all types of microphone thunder, right. mm-hmm. a fugitive, a fugitive missing all types of hell, all this because I talk so well. That right there lets you know it's not about a weapon. It's about his his lyrics, his his structure of words, the meaning behind, you know, they say the most dangerous thing you can have is an education. Yeah, there you go. So mm-hmm. he's sitting up there shooting it out like, listen, I'm dangerous with my mind. I don't need a weapon. Right. These words have everybody in America now on edge like, whoa, mm-hmm. we need to hold on and take a listen and see what he's actually saying. That's that's what I feel. This brother, when he came at it, he let you know, listen, all these states are looking at us now trying to, you know, trying to question what we're doing. If you, you look at uh, later on, you look at it down south, Luke, banned in the USA. Yeah. Because of the way they were talking on their album, oh, we don't want them to do, be that way. We don't want them to be like this. Oh, okay, Bobby Brown did whatever in his concert. Oh, we need to arrest him. It was the same thing they were doing to them then that they did in the 50s and 60s. They couldn't control you. So they tried to make up laws to keep you down and keep you under and control you that right. way. So what right. Chuck was saying in this is like, look, my Uzi weighs a ton 
My Uzi is my mind. Right. I'm shooting bullets at everything that y'all got going. Mm -hmm. So it was a, another wake-up call. Ding! Another one. Right? I got a question right. for you guys. Go ahead, John. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. Oh, no, I was just going to dovetail off of what uh, Debt was saying mm -hmm. with respect to how he opens up verse 3. Yeah, I was, you know going, what I mean? I was going right I'm there. a public enemy, but I don't <laughs> rob banks. Right. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. don't shoot bullets, and I don't shoot blanks. Right. My style is supreme. Number one is my rank, and I got more power than the New York Yanks. That's now, you got to remember, at that time, the Yanks, right. So he's, yeah. so he's telling you, again, like, at this time, you know what I mean? And even though... Chuck's wordplay isn't the deepest. Mm -hmm. It still at that time was deep. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Because a lot of people weren't going on the double entendres and the things of that nature. Rap right. was pretty, you know what I mean? See, I go by the name of a candy bee. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was pretty much, I don't want to say bubblegum, but it was pretty much right out there. Right. You understand, you understand what I'm saying? Right. Everybody was pretty much saying what was on their mind. Right. When he started talking about my Uzi and when he started because he understood that he was trying, that he needed to grab everyone's attention. And the Uzi was the number one street gun on the market back then. So, oh, oh, so the first listener is, oh man, he's talking about, you know, I got an Uzi, this cat got, he's talking to that, you know what I mean? He's bringing in that element, you know what I'm saying? So now he brings it back with, you know, but I, I am a public enemy, but I don't rob banks. You know what I mean? So he's telling you, Everybody hates me, but it's and, and I am that public enemy, but not because of why you think I'm that public enemy because of what that just said. Yep. Because I use my mind. Become notorious, become infamous by how smart you are. You know, he was he was building off that Faircon that you know don't 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 forget the minister at the time in nineteen eighty seven he had that powerful VHS tape out <laughs> called Power. Mm -hmm. People organ organizing, working together for environmental rebirth. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I know it because my mother went to New York and bought it and brought it back home and made me listen to it for an entire weekend. I kid you not. <laughs> I kid you not on the VHS too, mind you. That statement that John just said about his mom, having she went all the way to New York to get that VHS tape and bought it home for him to sit down and listen to. That shows the importance of what Public Enemy was trying to do at the time because they were enlightening brothers and sisters back then. They were opening their minds. They were opening what they call that third eye. So what did that right. mother do? That black mother said, I want my child to be enlightened and understand what things are going on out here in society, what things that he needs to be doing to better himself. So she sat up there, got that tape, and made you sit and watch it a whole weekend or listen to it a whole weekend, that shows the significance also even more about what Public Enemy was doing around this time. Right. And they and I'm going to tell you now, they exposed a lot of people to the Honorable Minister Farrakhan. People, a lot of people did not know who that man was, especially the younger people. We didn't know who that man was around the time. Then you started researching him, you know, the, the follower of Farrakhan. And you start... you. You wonder, like, who's Farrakhan? And then you start researching and stuff like that. And I actually went to um, I went to Tuskegee University with his nephew. Good dude. It wasn't until I would have never known the importance of who he was, whose nephew that was, if it wasn't for P.E. putting this stuff out there and actually opening my mind to it. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And when my mom brought back that Farrakhan, she had no idea that Public Enemy was talking about Farrakhan. And you know what I'm saying? Because I had no idea at the time that Public Enemy was talking about Farrakhan. But 
when yeah, I listened to Farrakhan and then I listened to Public Enemy, the messages lined up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I mean, you follow what I'm saying, that So just, just like you said, my mom was looking being a single mom. She heard about the minister and the message that he was preaching to to black folks, and she wanted us to hear that. You know, my mother was very Afrocentrically proud, mm-hmm. so she was always you know, pushing us in that direction to understand our heritage, who we are as a people. And so when I started getting into Public Enemy and she started getting into Farrakhan, we had no idea that we were going to meet in the middle of that thing. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. We had no idea about that. P.E. just did, they were socially conscious. Right. And politically conscious. And them and KRS-One woke up the teams around that time to the consciousness to make them start looking and reading books, oh, yeah. reading and looking into things a lot deeper than what we were looking into it. Oh, yeah. And that's what I meant before. I mean, Chuck was every bit as important and every bit as influential as KRS, even though he might right. not have been on his level lyrically. The message that he was bringing and it's always been about the message It's always about the message. His message was just as important and just as impactful as KRS. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. I got a question. Yep. I got a question for you guys. Right after he says that, you know, my style supreme, you know, number one is my rank. He says, if my Uzi wasn't heavy, I'd probably fire it. Did you guys catch that right there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. What does that mean to y'all right there? To me, that means he's going street life if he didn't have a brain. I'm going to pull this trigger. Mm-hmm. This, not this, not this figurative one, this literal one. Exactly. You understand what I'm saying? Because yes. to me, I am not going to have any other options. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You can either like me or hate me, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get out. I'm, I'm going to get out of this world what I want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have this mental state that I have to go this route, mm-hmm. then I'm going to go that New York City crime route. Right. Chuck was so important, critically important in hip hop. Every bit as important as KRS. Yeah, Chuck was important, but I know Chuck. Oh, oh. Yeah, man. I yeah, I know I know you, Chuck. You you know who I am, man. What happened? Chuck knows I know him. Man, listen, let me tell you. I was hanging out with Chuck and Flav one time. You know, clowning around, having a good time. Flav did something to make Chuck mad, and I didn't know it at the time. So. I'm sitting there like, oh, Flav, calm down. What happens is Flav moves, Chuck goes to swing at Flav. He missed Flav and smacked me. <laughs> I, yo, I was offended because I was like, Chuck, I'm one of your biggest fans, and you slapped the dog crap out of me. Yo, after that day, I went home. Every African medallion I had, I ripped them up, threw them in the garbage. I couldn't wear black no more. I was just angry at Chuck for that. It, I couldn't even wear blue. I got PTSD right now. Public enemy trouble syndrome. I, I got it all right now. That's what it pretty much stands to me. Because Chuck slapped, I mean, when he slapped me, spit came out my mouth. <laughs> and all I could do is just look, look back in his face. He said, oh, I didn't mean to hit you. Flay moved. I said, well, that's wrong, Chuck. Because you opened palm me, and it was like, you know how you could stop and pull back? Mm-hmm. Nah, Chuck kept going all the way through. And Flav was in the corner like... <laughs> And I was like, you wrong, Flea. I got a question. Was it the backhand or was it was it was a straight palm? Oh, he gave me straight palm. <laughs> oh, straight palm. <laughs> so he came from five o'clock. Baby on powder. Huh. 
Straight palm, no baby powder, ashy knuckles. Oh, you know, oh listen, he no. could his knuckles were so ashy he could have cut me and brushed my hair at the same time. <laughs> it was just ashy for real. Oh. And I'm gonna tell you now, listen, you, Chuck. Let's call it what it is. We knew each other, or, or, or let's be like this, Carlton. I know you, you. Come on, man. Your real name's Carlton. They call you Chuck D. You know I know you, and you slap me, Chuck. Every color I wear right now got to be like gray or green. I can't wear black or blue no more because mm. of Chuck. And Flay, you're wrong, man. Listen, I couldn't listen to nothing that had to do with black power or anything. I threw out all my Stokely Carmichael books. I threw out everything, my Black Panther albums. I threw them all out just because of Chuck. <laughs> I, I mean, I, was, I, I wasn't crazy. I went and got them back out of the garbage after I threw them out. But everything else that said Public Enemy on it, it I put it in the crate and put it in the attic. I was upset. Chuck, you're wrong, man. You're wrong, Chuck. You know you was wrong, man. You need to apologize for that, Chuck. You're wrong. The bigger question man. is, the, the bigger question is, why was Chuck trying to, trying to smack Flay? What happened? What was the issue? He said he was just trying to reach out for Flay. Oh, oh. You don't reach out for somebody coming from Georgia up to the, up past South Carolina and North Carolina, all over past Long Island, and all of a sudden all you hear is swap it. <laughs> that, I mean, that's what it sounded like in my ear. Swap it. I was like, he just, man, my, my arm on my sleeve was wet from the slap, the slob he slapped out my mouth. Mm. I was like, damn it, Chuck just slapped me. See? All I could do was stare at him for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my See, feelings was hurt. I, I guess so. Man, I don't, I don't know how you do it. That It's got to be therapeutic for you. Now, you know what I think it really was? Mm. We was in the club. We hanging out. Mm -hmm. He had on some Jordans. I stepped on his Jordans. He looked at me and said, so I think him and Flav set it up. Because why is Flav in the corner laughing and my face hurting? You're wrong, Chuck. See? You're wrong. You on tour, you're supposed to have, you're supposed to have lotion and knuckles. How you going to get your hand going to be like you just working in a carpenter shop, just making horseshoes or something like that with your hands? They, his hands was ashy and hard and slapped me. I felt like an R&B singer at that point. Like, you ain't got to slap me like that. Like I was light-skinned or something. Just, <laughs> Now, see, hold it, man. Why he had to be light-skinned, though? Right, right. When Al B was rocking it in 88, things were good for me. Let me just put it that way. Still good. Still good. Well, yes, sir. You know, <laughs> that's good. Then y'all could be part of his E! True Hollywood story or that unsung. When, you're, when your career goes straight to unsung, it's over. Hey, Chuck, we got some non-believers out there. Yo, we got to do something about that, man. Yo, we got to get stupid. Yo, we got to let them know what time it is. You go through an hour when I jump in my car. People treat me like a real ass dude. Just falling around who you are when I'm up the par. I bet you go hip hop, hooray and raw. But the eyes and ooze is my kind of news. Pop your tape in, put the car in cruise. I never heard the booze. I never drank booze. Cause I just rock the rhythm, let the load of blues. The L eyes and sneak, you sneak the peak and look. Next track. Time bomb. One verse. It's just Chuck. <laughs> it's just Chuck telling you who he is and what he's bringing to the game. That's it. And I, I'll take you guys to my favorite line. And I remember listening to this back in the day. I think I must have said this a hundred times. He said, like Ali Frazier, the thriller in Manila, a pinpoint, point blank microphone killer. I mean, Chuck was basically saying, look, I'm here and I'm here to stay. You know, ain't nobody's better than me, you know? 
this is another one of those run-on sentences. You yeah, know what I mean? Like exactly. I was talking about with, with uh, Jay-Z. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know what I mean, these, these cats just have these experiences where I think they, you know, how athletes talk about, you know, I was in the zone on that one. You know what I mean? You know, Joe, me and Joe Green talk about, you know, playing in the zone and things of that nature when he played for the Steelers. And I think this is one of those prime examples yeah. of Chuck just uh, got into the zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, every reference doesn't have to be about the Steelers. <laughs> well, you know, when you got six, it kind of does. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Okay. All right, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I just I just went two hands on you. <laughs> but I mean <laughs> But I mean, you know, but just like uh Scott just said with the with that line right there like Ali Frazier Thriller in Manila. I mean, what was bigger than Ali and Frazier in the Thriller in Manila? Nothing. Right. Nothing. So he's so so he's telling you. You know what I mean? And then, you know, he flips it because, you know, Burger King had a couple little cool commercials out back then, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I'll be the burger. You could be the bun girl surrounded my steady pounding. <laughs> get, get on down to my funkus. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's telling you, you know what I mean? On a couple of different levels that he's the man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's telling you, you know what I mean? He's the king in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Don't try to step to him. He's Ali Frazier, Thriller in Manila. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm really? saying? I mean, just really, really, Chuck, Thriller in Manila. You know what? Well, if that's the case, why don't you just sit up there and meet me in the ring? Because you slapped me, Chuck. You was wrong. You was wrong. <laughs> he was he was tuning up for this for this cut right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that might have been. The, you know what I mean? He he might have been the inspiration for this track right here. He might have been amused. <laughs> but you know, a lot of rap, a lot of rappers have used my inspiration. You know, you never know. Never know. You know what else I like about Chuck though? He wasn't afraid to stand out and be himself. You know what I mean? Like he he always drops lines like this. He said, um, I never heard the booze. I never drank booze. He don't drink. You know what I'm saying? I just rocked the rhythm. I left alone the blues. You know what I mean? He don't have time to be, you know, feeling sorry for himself. He, he only has time to get up on stage and, and, and rock the mic. He don't drink. And then he said, only a fool smokes cools because he chokes on camels. He don't smoke. Right. He don't smoke and he don't drink. He told you right there. Yeah. I mean, back in 87, you know what I mean? I mean you, were, you know, people smoked and drank back then. That was the thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Maybe he should have drank. Yeah. Then he wouldn't have wore them tight black pants that he had on. Dude, oh. Chuck's pants was tight oh, back man. then. Everybody's pants was tight back then. Everyone's no. tight. Speak for those that you know of. Mine wasn't tight. Chuck know, had oh, shoot. Mm -hmm. Chuck had he had one nut in each pocket because his <laughs> pants was that tight. He, he, ooh, them things was tight. Like he probably had a little 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 yeast infection, a little muffin growing under his back down there in his. Pants. <laughs> Tell you, I'm serious. Them pants was tight. Chuck's probably laughing now when he hears it. He'd be like, yo, that is nuts. Like, yeah, he really he knows. Yeah, I, those pants was tight. Chuck had a he had a different pair of black pants for every show because after they finished the show and he was sweaty and they drew up some, they had to cut those pants off Chuck. So he had somebody go out and buy him new black pants each show. Chuck gonna come after you, man. He gonna come after you. He yeah. gonna give you that five o'clock backhand. That seven thirty. He gonna be again. He coming from seven thirty on this one, man. Oh, oh, I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Texas, I don't fight no more. Texas. I take people straight. Listen, I take people straight to court. I don't fight no more. <laughs> Your Honor, he slapped me. Yep, I took it like a man, too. At five million. <laughs> I'm just playing, Chuck. <laughs> Carlton. He had to but get that in. Wrong. He was wrong. 
All right, so what else you got for this track, man? Nothing else you guys good with this one? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely good with it. I mean, Time Bomb, like you said, was only one verse. I mean, it was a run-on sentence, and he just got dark on cats from the from the start to the finish. But I mean, he definitely said a lot of he's definitely said a lot of stuff in here. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mm -hmm. I, I like how he mentioned because apartheid was big back then. I like how he mentioned the South African government weaker uh, record Panther power. You can feel it in my arm. Look out, y'all, because here here I am because I'm the time bomb. That's the you thing. know what I mean? I love how he puts that down right there. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, man. I mean, that's the politics. Chuck was all about the politics back then. I mean, he was definitely very conscious. I mean, I forgot about that line. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, John. I'm an MC protector, U.S. defector, South African government record. I mean, y'all remember what was going on in South Africa back in 87. No I mean, doubt. No, yeah, one, yeah, apartheid, no doubt. Apartheid 100%. and all that. I mean, wasn't nobody talking about apartheid. I mean, when was Stetsasonic? Was that, was that 87? Was that 86, 87? It was around, yeah, it was around the same time. Yeah, so you're talking, yeah, yeah, there, was yeah. only, there was only a few, a, few, a few groups really, really talking about that stuff kind of back then, you know, and... Actually, I think it was before Public Enemy where they did uh, the Musicians Against Apartheid, the one that... Uh, Sun City. Yeah, Sun City, yeah. Mm -hmm. That, I still have played that for my kids to this day so they could see actually what was happening back then that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that was a, a different world. It was a, it was a, a, a kingdom of oppression. We we were kings and queens in our country before, and all of a sudden now we're oppressed. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, I let my kids see that, and I let them let them hear that stuff right there. So that 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 video, and if any of y'all are listening and you haven't had a chance to actually see that video or hear what the video was about, uh, it was more or less along the lines of apartheid, you know, with Mandela and all that stuff. Look it up on YouTube, Sun City uh, United Artists. Tell you, it's, it's a deep video. Yep, I mean, I go back to that KRS quote, John, right? If hip-hop has the power to corrupt young minds, well, it, it also has the power it to uplift. It has the power to uplift. Exactly. No doubt. Exactly. Art brings about an emotional response from whomever consumes it. Let me say that. Mm -hmm. So if that emotional response that one receives is an upliftment, then what's wrong with it? This is the crew cut right here. This is all Flav. All Flav. And we haven't given Flav any any airtime yet. We've all we've been talking about Chuck, 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 Chuck. Right? So this is their debut album, and people are trying to really understand who Public Enemy is. So let me ask you guys, what is the relationship? What is who is Flav the Public Enemy? He, you know, we all know who he is. He's the court jester. You know what I mean? He's the ultimate hype man. But regarding the message, that political consciousness that public enemies bring in. How does Flay fit into this? I've asked myself that question a lot. 
And I still don't have the answer to it, to be honest with you. I don't I don't know if he was the necessary distraction, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because sometimes you need that necessary distraction, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or if I still haven't caught up to what he was supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because to me, like you just said, he was the court gesture, you know, the hype man. Right. So what was his purpose? Do you think it was because Chuck's message was so heavy? Like you said, my Uzi weighs a ton. His message was so heavy. Do you think that maybe subconsciously or consciously Chuck knew that he would lose, you know, his, you know, his, his, his audience. So you got to have Flav in there to kind of keep it, you know, to keep it street, you know, to keep it, you know, what, what people could relate to. You know what? I actually, when I was younger, I was ignorant of the fact I looked at Flav as the court gesture or as a, you know, he, he was a character or he was a mascot, mm-hmm. but Listening to Flav speak on later albums and listening to Flav talk and then on on uh, on this too much posse and stuff like that, Flav is an intelligent man. Absolutely, he was. It's just the fact. It's, it's just the fact that we as kids looked at it as, oh man, he's he's funny or Flav is a clown or Flav is nuts. You enjoy people like that in your life, but right. you never sit down until later on. And I've heard this quite a few times from other people. When you sit up there and you say, hey, this person was intelligent. Like, he, he read a lot of books. He was smart. Not just saying Flav, but you have that person that was out there like, oh, he's just a clown. Like, oh, that dude was, he had me laughing all day, every day. But then you sit there and you go back and like, oh, wait a minute. This dude was actually an intelligent man. He was he was smart. He knew what, you know, what he was doing. It's just like, um, let's take it back, like, like to Mom's Mabel. Mm-hmm. She acted that way. But she was smart as a whip. Mm-hmm. She knew I'm gonna make my money this way, and the white people, you know, they're gonna accept this because I look like a old shuffling slave or or a uh, you know a maid. But I'm gonna make my money, and I'm gonna make jokes, and I'm gonna be able, as they said, she was able to pick at white people by acting like that. Mm-hmm. She was able to tell jokes about white people. They accepted it because they just looked at it as, oh, that's just, you know, a silly Negro. Right. But she was smart about it. She was able to make money off of them and make money off the world being that way. And I think Flav is just one of those one of those uh, factors where he's just an intelligent brother who has a outgoing, outspoken personality. That's and, what I look at it as. And if you look back at it, it was a genius move. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean... The yin and the yang that Chuck and Flav were endeared themselves to the entire rap community. You had the people that were checking for Chuck's message, right? And then Public Enemy was tricking the younger generation to listen to their message by including Flav because everybody loved Flav. Everybody loved Flav. And so you checking for Flav, but you listening to Chuck's message, and it was like, wait a minute. You know what I'm saying? We're waking up here. Did y'all see that Yo! MTV Raps episode where they had Flav on, and then Flav got on the piano, and he was played all that classical music on the piano. Remember that episode? No, I, no, I must have missed that one. Flav is a classically trained musician. Piano, you know, the trumpet. I mean, you got to go back, and I'll, I'll definitely post that, that video. That uh, I'll, I'll try to find it on YouTube and post it on the, uh, the Light Podcast Facebook page to show you. But Flav played the piano for Dre. 
and um, Ed Lover. I mean, I was shocked. Everybody was shocked at that. He's classically, he's, he's classically trained. I'm glad that we got a chance to highlight Flav because we haven't really talked about him until the, until now. You know what I'm saying? Well, put put it all to rest. Chuck, you out there, man. Hit us up. Let us interview you or uh, get you on the show for an interview. And you could put it out there how you and Flav actually met or, you know, inboxes, Texas, you know, Twitter, you know, connect with us on Twitter and let us know. We'll put it out there to the world because some people actually want to know right. that answer. Right. And I think it's important. I mean, the history behind P.E. I mean, you talk about, you know, this whole straight out of Compton movie. Imagine a public enemy movie. Right. I mean, going in, discussing wow. the history of public enemy. That would be that would be incredibly that'd be critical to hip hop right there. I think just as critical as his NWA movie. Wow, man, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That that would be crazy. All right, too much posse. It's a wrap. Too black, too strong. Too black, too strong. Yo, Chuck, these early drippers are still front on us. So that we can do this, cause we always do this. <laughs> yeah, boy. Base, how low can you go? Death row. What a brother know once again back is the incredible rhyme animal, the uncannable thief, public enemy number one, five folks said freeze, and I got numb, can I tell them that I really never had a gun, but it's the wax that determined the X bun, now they got me in the cell cause my records they sell, cause a brother like me said well, Farrah cause a prophet and I think you wanna listen to, what he can say to you, what you wanna do is follow for now, power the people say, make a miracle, keep up the lyrical, black is back all in, we're gonna win, check it out. As we close today and we go on about our lives, I would just like to send a couple shout-outs. The uh, first and foremost shout-out for the brother listening to our podcast and enjoying our show. And he's an ultimate OG. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ice-T, the original gangster. Let me just say, we appreciate you listening. Keep on listening, brother, and keep on supporting. The other uh, shout-out I'd like to give out to my boy, uh, my boy Allen's cousin, Tracy Lee. You know, thank you for your listening in advance, and uh, keep supporting. Nothing but hip-hop love to both of y'all, all right? Y'all have a good day. Peace. Yeah, I just want to shout out all the fans and listeners of uh, the Light Podcast Facebook page. You guys have been very active and very supportive of the show. And uh, speaking on behalf of the three of us, we definitely appreciate that. Um, lots of good comments, lots of good intelligent discussion, lots of good critique of the show. I mean, without that, we won't be able to get better. And I definitely, definitely appreciate that. Um, also want to shout out big time, you know, Chuck and Flay. You know, without them, without you guys, we wouldn't have anything to discuss. We wouldn't have anything to talk about, not just on the show, but from the hip-hop community as a whole. You guys gave us a lot to think about. You guys gave us a lot to talk about. And um, we appreciate you. Um, lastly, I want to give a shout-out to DJ Manak, uh, a.k.a. Tiger Blaze. He's, the, he's, the, he's the, the, the artist and the visionary behind the logo of the Light Podcast. There are a lot of elements, a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into that. And uh, we definitely appreciate you. No doubt, no doubt. Um, and as far as myself, Scott, I mean, you know, just looking at 
everything that's going on, you know, I definitely enjoyed doing this PE one, man, because it helped me get a little bit more introspective on a couple of different things. And, you know, just thinking back to 1987, growing up in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania, you know, that was such a small, it's such a small community. You, everyone really gets to know everybody there. And we're all, we all call each other family. We all call each other cousins. And uh, the 15108, you know, hearts are heavy this week. You know, a couple, couple deaths over there that I want to just, you know, just, just bring to light real quick. Uh, Cam, Cameron Johnson, you know, wait, gone way too soon. Leaves behind a nice family and everything. I never met the young man, but I was cool with his family. And, uh, you know, and I'm really sorry to hear that he passed away. Also, a young cat that I grew up with, uh, Leo Harper, his father passed away, you know. And this is just another example, man, of how short, you know, life is. And you got to always just hug your loved ones and be true to yourself. You know what I mean? And life is going to, you know, give you a lot of good if you uh, follow those principles there. So, you know, heads bow for the 15108. I'm definitely feeling you guys. Wish I could be there. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, also, I want to shout out my uh, LQ, my lunch queen, for always, uh, you know, telling me to push forward and uh, go ahead and do what I do. You know what I mean? As supporters such as her, as well as a whole bunch of other you guys out there who are sending me text messages, hitting me on the DM on Instagram. You know, I'm getting some uh, Twitter love. <laughs> I don't even know how to really tweet that well. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I appreciate all, all the love that I'm getting for what I'm doing. Because really, I'm just a guy sitting, sitting back, doing a little bit of sipping, talking about, you know, an art form that I, that I truly love, which is, which is hip-hop. So I appreciate the, the platform. I appreciate all the good feedback that we're receiving. Keep downloading and keep sharing. Oh, oh, one more thing, one more thing. One, uh, you know, I'd like to just say also, I am a die-hard Cowboys fan. Really die-hard Cowboys fan. And... We got smashed this past weekend. However, I don't mind getting smashed like that on the, on the battlefield when it's done by one of my former classmates, Danny Quinn from Morristown High School. He's the coach of the uh, Atlanta Falcons. 3-0 and at this time. Danny represent Morristown to the fullest, man. Peace.
his gun and he did what I said so. And every man's the man got served. Along with the time they served, decency was deserved. To understand my demands, I gave a warning. I wanted the governor, y'all. And plus the warden to know that I was innocent. Because I'm militant, posing the threat. You better fucking up the government. My plan said I had to get out and break north. Just like Oliver's neck, I had to get off. My boys had the feds in check. They couldn't try nothing. We had a force to instigate a prison riot. This what it takes for peace. So I just took a piece. Black for black. It's high time to cut the leash. Freedom to get out to the ghetto. No sellouts. Six COs we got. We ought to put their head out. But I'll give them a chance cause I'm civilized. As for rest of the world, they can't realize a cell is hell. I'm a rebel so I rebel. Between bars got me thinking like an animal. Got a woman CEO to call me a copter. She tried to get away and I popped her twice. Right? No one to get nice. I had six CEOs and now it's five to go and I'm serious. Call me delirious. But I'm still a captive. I gotta rap this time to break as time goes a tent. I got my steel in my right hand. Now I'm looking for the fence. Get away, so I just got away to 